0: for listening to Adopted Believers. I am still your host, Daniel Olson, and today in our study of Judges 16, we are actually concluding the brunt, the kind of the middle section of Judges. We are finishing up our story with Samson, and we're going to be transitioning into different stories, not necessarily a focus on a particular judge, rather a focus on stories, two stories actually. And before we get to that, though, we got to look at the last hurrah in Judges. And I am glad to say that this does end on a high note. There's a lot of stupidity in between, but it does end up at a high note. And I'm just so excited to show you the grace of God in this because... This passage is just such a gospel passage. Like, there's so much hope in this for us because we are like Samson in the bad parts, but we can also be like Samson at the end. I'm super excited for our study today. And so before we dive into explaining the passage, I would like to just kind of reiterate it to you. It's Judges 16 our readings are coming from the Christian Standard Bible and just a brief paraphrase of it. We have verses 1 through 3 which is kind of like just showing you hey Samson is still a still in a sinful place. And it's kind of a runner-up. You know, I it's been compared to like an opening act at a concert where, you know, it's kind of getting you into it. And we see that there's Samson sees a prostitute, sleeps with her, there's a plot to ambush him, and Samson just leaves early and takes two gateposts with him. It's a really crazy story that leaves a lot of questions, but that's kind of the point to get us going into the next Next scene, which is Delilah. We all know Delilah. Delilah is really, it's really a baffling passage of how you could fall for sin. But we're going to talk about how Samson could fall for this sin. So Delilah is a presumably beautiful woman. And Samson sees her. It doesn't really say if she marries her. At least I haven't seen it. And so I would, knowing Samson, I would doubt that he did end up marrying her. I don't know, but Samson anyways, he does sleep with this woman, we know that much, and so Samson, you know, he is easily persuaded by her, and this woman, in her defense, is offered a boatload of money to get Samson betrayed. They say that each, so the leaders of the Philistines, she, they come to her and they're like, each of us will then give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So I'm not a money, a currency expert or what have you, but you don't need to know how big these pieces of silver are to know that that is a lot of money. Like, we're talking, like, think, just think about 1,100 pieces of silver alone is more money than I've ever held, looked at, or thought of, okay? And these people, this is multiple Philistine leaders, each of us. I don't know where they're getting this money from, but apparently they haven't. And so, Delilah, this is, I've, I've heard of gold diggers, but this would be a silver digger. I don't know. Delilah, she is not very sneaky, Okay, she just says, Samson, where does your strength come from? And Samson is just like, the first time, we'll give Samson a break. Okay, Samson, he lies to her. And so then Delilah goes and tells the Philistine leaders. And then they try this method that Samson lied about. And then Samson just, you know, breaks free. I'm sure he beats up the Philistines. And so then Delilah is just like, you've mocked me and told me lies. And so I I hope Samson knows that she is betraying him. I'm sure he does. I don't know how you wouldn't. But then Samson tells her another lie. Samson's like, okay, do this. I'm sure Samson's having fun with this, but he's just playing with death at this point. So Delilah tries another method of having him betrayed, and it doesn't work. And so then Samson does another lie. And so eventually she nags nags day after day, And Samson just gives up. And this is on Samson. I mean, what you doing, big man? So Samson tells her the secret, even though this woman has been going to the Philistine leaders every time. So Delilah calls back the leaders one more time. And so the Philistine leaders come. They cut Samson's hair, and his strength leaves him. Why did Samson's strength leave him? It's not because his hair is magical. It's because of a sign of faithfulness to God. And there were so many ways that he'd violated the Nazarene covenant, but this was basically it, you know? And so then Samson is caught and Samson is defeated. And then Samson is, he's his eyes are gouged out. This is important because this is the source of his sin. Okay? Samson's eyes, remember, he has gone with beautiful women who have brought him down. And that's not to exonerate, I think that's the right word. Samson of the blame but that is to say that his eyes in particular were a particular source of that sin and so when he lost that he was not able to lust obviously and he was also humiliated so that the pride and the sensuality that we see in Samson is obviously cut off at the source and so the Philistine leaders take Samson to their temple and they rejoice. They're like, oh, their god, Dagon. They're like, oh, our god has handed over our enemy Samson to us. Woohoo! And they praise their god. Our god has handed over to us our enemy who destroyed our land and who multiplied our dead. And so then Samson, he says to the person, the boy who is leading him, he says, can, I, can you lead me to the pillars of the temple just to lean on? Because they're making him, you know, entertain and whatnot. And so Samson is at a point of humility And brokenness. And he calls out to God. He says, God, please remember me. This is verse 28. Strengthen me, God, just once more. With one act of vengeance, let me pay back the Philistine for my two eyes. And God answers Samson. And Samson commits an act of sacrifice. And it says that those he killed at his death were more than those he had killed in his life. So Samson takes down the temple with him in it, and actually his brothers and his father's whole family comes down and carries him back. We're seeing that in verse 31. So it does end on a high note of Samson being faithful, of Samson saying, you know, obviously he didn't have much of a life left, but what he did, he did sacrifice to God. And so we see two things in this chapter and really throughout this story. One is that sin will rot us out slowly. And secondly, that there's always hope for redemption. So first, sin. Sin will rot us out slowly. The prostitute encounter really helps set the stage for Samson's downfall. While the secret to Samson's strength has not been revealed yet, we do see that sin has gained quite a foothold in his life. Throughout Samson's life, we're really seeing instances of him failing. Samson has a big-time woman problem that is completely caused by himself. This is, Samson just has a weakness for beautiful women, you know, and that's not to say that, I mean, I hope you're not getting this, that, you know, godly men should never be with beautiful women. That, women, That's not the point of this. The point of this is that we have a good gift, you know, beauty, whether that be in, you know, sports, people, whatever it is, that Samson abuses. Samson twists. And Samson is looking for beautiful woman after beautiful woman, and it ends up literally killing him. The prostitute account is incredibly short, but it's inserted for a reason. Samson is a big man with a big problem. And we see that sin blinds us. There had been big-time red flags over his sin, yet Samson is just so intoxicated with pride and sensuality that he fails to heed these warnings. First, Delilah literally tries to get her lover arrested, and, you know, I almost said husband when I was preparing these notes, but I don't believe the passage ever says they married. Delilah literally tries to backstab Samson three times, and Samson is apparently cool with that. He is incredibly prideful in thinking that he can basically play with death. Here we see yet another deliverer that cannot overcome the sin problem. All of Scripture is connected. And we see another deliverer of Israel in this passage, and we're going to get to later, okay? Throughout all of the Old Testament, Israel's deliverers and leaders had flaws and sins, okay? Okay. We see the wickedness of God's people on their own contrasted with each of these delivers. All right, these delivers. I want to give a fee, a short list to you. Moses, Elijah, and David. That's a very specific list. I use that for a reason. Because Moses was the law. Moses, you'll see two of these guys actually with Jesus at his transfiguration. I believe it's Elijah, not not Elisha. That's, that's probably like the biggest puzzle in the Bible is, uh, you know, Moses or Elijah and Elisha, you know, no one knows who they are. No, but, um, we see El- Moses, he is, you know, he is someone who represents the law, someone who is the, the big, be- really the beginning of the Bible. And so, We see, yeah, it is Elijah who's at the transfiguration. We see Moses, how he gives the law to the people of Israel really sets the stage for all of the Old Testament, but Moses had his flaws, you know? He was not able to enter into the promised land because of that, and we see also that Moses, you know, he was a great leader, but he was also complained to constantly, and Elijah... Elijah was a great leader. He was one of the greatest prophets. That's why he's in the, that's why he is listed in the transfiguration because he resembles and kind of signifies the prophets. And we see David, the greatest of the kings, a man after God's own heart. But all of these guys could not lead Israel forever. They died and there was backsliding after them. And they also had their own flaws. But Jesus coming to earth, and living a perfect life is so incredible because God's people finally have a perfect leader. We see the wickedness of God's people on their own contrasted with each of these deliverers, okay? Moses, he received com- more complaints than Jeff Bezos has dollars. Elijah, he had to live on the run from Jezebel. David had a world of trouble becoming king and then another world of trouble while he was king. But none of these compared to Jesus who, even though he was perfect and came to heal the world, was crucified in the political and covenantal heart of God's people, Jerusalem. Unlike all the men before him, Jesus could finally lead his people to true and lasting righteousness because he lived a perfect life, was murdered, sacrificed, and rose again. That's the God we serve. And that's why our second point today is that there is always hope of redemption. We see how sin rots out. Sin rots out from the inside because Samson's sin really causes downfall with pride and sensuality, blinding him to an impending death that has huge red flag. God's people have continued to backslide and they're left with Samson. And despite all of his, Samson Israel's wickedness, God still ends up ends up giving the people of Israel deliverance. So there is always hope of redemption while we are on this earth. However, that hope will come to an end. When God comes back to judge the world, either we submitted our life to God or we did not. Samson, fortunately, had that hope that he neglected for much of his life. But in the end, he did come back to God. He submitted himself to the one who judges justly, and he was able to do great things for the people of Israel. But if Samson had not repented he w- and had not entrusted himself to God and his way, then Samson would have spent eternity in hell because Samson Really, live for himself his whole life, Samson, like us, is depraved, cannot save himself, cannot live for God, but we see at the end that Samson, God humbles Samson and shows his glory to Samson. God uses the wickedness of the Philistines to bring Samson to a place of repentance and faith in God's plan. At the end of Samson's life, we see him humbled and faithful. Samson is what we would call a project Christian, someone who takes a lifetime of rebuke from God. But these are arguably God's favorite people. Look at Peter. It seems like he's called out in every book of the New Testament, whether it's get behind me, Satan, or whether it's Paul saying he had to call out Peter. Peter is beat up. But yet, He is one of the cornerstones. Jesus tells him, on this rock I will build my church. God is incredibly faithful in redeeming his people. Christian, are you bogged down by sin? Do you have sin in your life that you can't beat? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God because God is incredible at restoring. God wants to heal you. He wants to change you. And I implore with you, Christian, run to God before things get worse. And if you don't know God, I encourage, I beg you, go to God because he can save you. We've seen with Samson a life that's really lived in rejection of God. God had given to Samson All these gifts and Samson abused them. But at the end of his life, Samson ended up going to God, saying, God, I need you. And God was faithful. And if you do not know God, repent. Start putting your faith in Jesus because he can and will save you if you come to him in faith. He said so. And for those Christians who are out there who are bogged down by sin, who say, there is no hope for me. That's not true. God wants to help you. He's given you his word. Trust in him. Find the local church and find people who can hold you accountable, who can give you the support you need to start living in faithfulness like Samson did at the end of his life. There is hope. We see throughout the book of Judges You know, all this unfaithfulness. But we end on this high note of repentance and restoration. And as we go into another dark period of Judges, these two stories at the end, I want to encourage you that God's way is the best way. That when we're living for ourselves, when we're doing what's right in our own eyes, then there is pain. When we go to God, when we trust His plan, like we'll see with David, There is peace that passes understanding.